If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on? Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Coffee and Politics. As always, every night on Wednesday. And today's a special day because uh, it's technically the 100th episode of the California Underground Podcast. So that is, I mean, that's pretty exciting because I, I didn't think, you know, it, it would be 100 episodes and here we are already. And, um,. It's been a it's been a wild ride. Uh, definitely got to talk to some great people. I was looking at the first episode, looking all the way back at the first episode because I was curious. I was like, "What did I talk about?" The first episode was debuted on February fourth, twenty nineteen. So if that gives you an idea of how long ago this all started, um, and it looks like I talked about. Senator Kamala Harris, um, and I guess questions she would not be facing, and then let's, oh no way, actually there's the article, so I can pull it up right now. Kamala Harris sounds a lot like an authoritarian, that's the article that was discussed. Um, how evil is Donald Trump? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, this story, which is still a really good story, which I love to talk about and bring up a lot, is uh, that... Gavin Newsom, and this is actually an article I wrote a long time ago, uh, about how instead of living in the governor's mansion, he had bought a house for $4 million in cash in one of the richest neighborhoods in Sacramento. Still one of the best stories because it just showed what kind of a hypocrite he was and that he still to this day kind of views himself as the elite which subtle plug uh the elites hate you remember that and uh there's that shirt and the merchandise in the link so if you want to check that out um but anyway happy 100 episodes uh we still got a lot to do and, and you know i've said this before that even though there's been a lot of stuff going on these past two years, and it's definitely, I've seen a lot of more interest in politics. I, I, you know, obviously I've been doing this since 2019, and we're here at 100 episodes. Um, but hold on one second. For some reason, I am not. All right. Um, as I was saying, uh, start all over, fresh, fresh slate. This is how you know it's really done live, is because. For doing things on the fly. Uh, anyway, as I was saying, uh, yeah, we started in 2019. Started because it was a platform for people to come and discuss and talk about California politics. Because for as far as I knew, there weren't a lot of people really talking about just California politics. There weren't people who were just really focused in on California politics. There were people who were based in California who talked a lot about like national politics, but really kind of would like maybe touch upon California politics. But they wouldn't really um, discuss California politics in depth in the sense that they would talk about the state assembly or the state senate or what bills are passing or talk about like the, the process of how these things get passed or really take a long look at what is going on in the uh, legislature or what the governor is doing. So there wasn't really this emphasis on that at the time. And I think it was an issue of I felt like there was really no reason or, or there was really no space for people to go and discuss California politics that wasn't really far left, really sort of the approved narrative of what was going on at the time. And um, I felt like that was really the, the impetus. I was really the inspiration for this platform and for this podcast was the idea that there isn't really a place for people to kind of come and talk about it. And I think there's a lot of people out there who want to talk about it. And whether you're left, right, center, I think there's there's been people who've reached out to me and said, I'm a Democrat, I still follow you. Um, I support what you're doing. Um, and I know for a lot of people, that's probably really shocking to hear that there's um, Democrats who follow the account. But there's people who all over the spectrum. There's libertarians, there's Republicans, there's centrists, there's independents and people who follow this account because they want to get a... a, a space where they can talk about these things and feel open to talking about these things. And, um, you know, it's been incredible seeing sort of the 
the growth of this account and the growth of the platform to the point where people are starting to engage in it and, and really it's starting to turn into what I had envisioned it, it would become, which is this platform where people could come and interact. So when I like check out the discord and I see people in the discord on their own discussing California politics, discussing with each other, maybe disagreeing about stuff, politely disagreeing with each other. Um, it's great to see that because it, it, it that's what I was hoping that this platform would be is that this platform would be a place where people could come and talk and chat. And I think it's starting to become that. And I think that's what people are really looking forward to. And I think you're starting to see that also people think that this is going to be a rah, rah, like conservative Trump account. And it really isn't that either. And, and in reality, sometimes I think I, I'm more hard on the Republican party than I am on anything else. Um, so even though, yeah, I call out the left and, and the status and all that stuff, at the end of the day, I, I feel like I call out Republicans as much as well because California is this weird kind of amalgam of all different beliefs and we're all unique and it's, California is just weird. And that's why I think there needed to be something that's specifically focused just on California politics, not on national with a flair of California. Maybe it started off that way in the beginning. I noticed that I would do a lot of stuff about national and that would get people interested and they'd listen to it. And I talk about what national politics were, but I would keep the national politics to what was directly related to California. But as of recently, I, you know, it's really just been all California, including the guests have come on. It's been a lot of California, a lot of people, um, people who've been on it for the interviews Last week, we talked all about California and propositions and races and stuff like that. So it's been really interesting to see how this whole thing has grown. And I, I'm excited to see where it continues to grow. Um, and I think there'll be a lot more exciting things to come. And I think, you know, this this platform has been great to be able to reach out to different people and discuss. And I think a lot of people are starting to wake up to the idea of, Let's get involved with California politics because in 2019, in February of 2019, not a lot of people were really interested in California politics, to be honest, or maybe it was just not that platform, but there weren't a lot of people who weren't super interested in like the local California politics. There's a lot of people who were just kind of like they knew about like Gavin Newsom and they didn't like Gavin Newsom or whatever, but they didn't really know too much about their local politics. And I think a lot of people are really starting to hop on that and figure it out. And, um, it's great to see. It's really fun to see. And I'm, I'm really glad that, um, it, I'm really glad where it is. And, it, you know, here's to a hundred episodes. Here's to a hundred more episodes. And, uh, thank you to everyone who tunes in and shares and tunes in every Wednesday morning to all the podcasts and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, anyway, now on to what I was going to talk about today. Um, Let's start with a story. There's a couple stories I want to talk about. There's one opinion piece about politicians in California, how they really kind of give away this lollipop idea of that they want to give stuff away. First story I want to cover is this story about uh, what happened with the oil spill off Orange County. Uh, if you haven't heard, there was this big oil spill, and of course they're all running to talk about how they need to get rid of offshore drilling. Uh, the story goes that they think that it was a ship that had an anchor drag across the floor and pull the pipe open. Now, what does that mean? Why did that happen? Usually these... According to this article, these these anchors weigh about 30 tons, and it's very, very hard to really drop to really drag any of these. It has to be high winds. But the bigger issue here that no one really wants to talk about right now is the fact that why are there so many ships off the shore is because we have a supply chain issue with because of COVID, because of what has happened with COVID, and because of the worker solution. This is the supply chain, and this really kind of now has the unintended consequences of our supply chains, what happened with the lockdowns. And I had discussed this before that the idea of people think that these actions kind of like happen in a bubble. And they think that like, Oh, if we just lock down the economy, we'll be able to stop COVID. Um, and you know, everything will go back to normal afterwards. 
as we're seeing, and we're still seeing the effects of it as I watch the, the Dow Jones now, as I think it looks like it's down like 200 points, 260 points. NASDAQ is down 61 points right now. We're still seeing the unintended consequences of lockdowns and what happened. And a lot of people don't really see that. They see it all in a vacuum and they don't really see. Oh, now it's down 330 points. Okay. Um, they don't see the long-term effects, so they don't see what happens outside of that. And this is one of those issues where you're seeing the repercussions of a lockdown society, of the lockdown of an economy, and what happens afterwards. And not only the lockdown of the economy, public policies whereby you're paying people to stay home, you're paying people to not work, and you're paying people to stay on welfare. These issues turn into bigger issues that people then turn around and will blame on stuff like, oh, it's because we have to get rid of offshore drilling. No, it's because everything was fine until you had an enormous amount of tankers and ships hanging off the coast of Long Beach waiting to come into port because they don't have enough people to unload a lot of these ships. Uh, and now you have ships dragging their anchors because there's too many ships out there which are now ripping open the pipes for the oil and it's causing an offshore spill which seems that they haven't come to a conclusion yet but that is one of the prevailing theories is that because there were so many ships out there one of the anchors dragged there were high winds they pulled on one of the pipes and that caused the oil spill but that's the big the big picture and i'm glad that the san diego union tribune talked about this is that there is this bigger picture there is this bigger picture of these things do have a domino effect we're seeing high inflation we're seeing wages stagnate we're seeing people we're seeing the economy holding on by a thread and even though uh it, it's been the past couple of days i always like to watch the financial news just because money talks and more importantly money talks about everything rather than watching any of the bias news that's left or right or the corporate media Financial news really tells you the biggest where people speak with their money. And that's where I, I think you find a lot of the truth is, you know, money talks. And when you follow money, you start to see what's going on a little bit better. Stock market has been doing well this past week. It's been going down. There's been a lot of triple digit lost days. Um, it was at 35,000. Now it's down. I'm waiting for it to pop up again. I think it's down under 34. It's like 33,000. So it's already lost like almost 2,000 points in the past week or so. Yep. 33,986. So it's almost down, you know, it's almost down 2,000 points, which is not good. And that's a big slide. And it's like this house of cards that we have constructed for ourselves because of COVID, because of these decisions. Uh, are starting to kind of unravel a little bit. And now you're seeing the standoff with what's going on with Congress and the Senate and the bills and the debt ceiling and all that stuff. You're really starting to see how the house of cards is starting to sway a little bit. And sooner or later, it's all going to start crumbling down. Moral of the story is that a lot of people don't look at the long-term effects of a lot of their policies. And this is in a book. Henry Hazlitt wrote a great book. Uh, I, I've mentioned it on this show before, which is that uh, is called Economics in One Lesson. And then the one lesson is that you have to look at not only the economic decisions of what you do at this point, you have to look at down the line what could possibly happen. And that's what we're seeing right now is that, you know, this book was written a long time ago, many decades ago, but the message and the lesson of it is still really pervasive today. And we're seeing it play out. If, if he was still alive and he saw what was going on, he would say, this is exactly what I was talking about when it came to lockdowns and everything related to COVID was you're seeing the economic effects of it play out, not in just one instance and not in just that particular amount of time. You're looking at it over the course of, years and you're looking at the unintended consequences and that's what we're seeing right now is that a lot of these politicians a lot of these statists who believe that they could control things with government policies at the end of the day are now starting to really figure out how to try and put the the, the horse back in the barn when he's already out 
And there's a lot of problems going on. And I think it's, it's, it's scary in economic terms. Um, and we see that here in California. And to tie it back to California, we see that all the time with California. I've said this before, that a lot of the policies of the left and a lot of the policies of the status is that it's more regressive than they think in terms of who they're trying to help. They think like they're trying to help uh, the lower class and they're all for the lower class and they're all for this and that. And, and, and really all these government programs are really assisting when in reality, a lot of their policies don't really end up affecting or helping the people that they really want to help. For example, now I was just reading an article. Um, let's see if I can find it. Um, but an article, there's another thing to talk about that Newsom just signed into law SB 339, the road usage charge pilot program. The RUC pilot program has existed since 25, 2015, but SB 339 expands and extends it through 2027. This time, rather than simply tracking volunteer California drivers and sending them mock bills for miles driven, this bill includes the implementation of an actual tax collection system with participants being reimbursed with an estimated amount in gas taxes used over the program's time span. Uh, and no, you know, it's no surprise who drafted it. The author of this is California state Senator Scott Weiner. If you're familiar with who Scott Weiner is, we've talked about him a lot on this. He offered SB 145. I think that was the very controversial one about decriminalizing the ability of consenting adults to have, uh, sexual relations with minors. Um, and they tried to word it a whole different way, but that's not really, I mean, when you boil it down, it's just kind of a weird bill to put up. Um, and this is one of those issues. This is really one of those issues where they, they look at it one way and they say, this is a great idea because it's going to help us bring in more tax dollars. And in Sacramento's terms, there's never enough tax dollars. There's really never enough money that I don't think will ever really satisfy Sacramento. And, and We've talked about this whole idea. Well, the Democrats are in charge of everything in California. It should be a utopia. Everything in California should be an absolute utopia uh, based on the fact that they control everything. California should be an absolute utopia. Nothing. There should be no problems. There should be absolutely nothing wrong with California. When in reality, that's not the case, but that's for another show. This is an example of these unintended consequences of, do you think this is going to help the people that were the, the goal that you have implemented, which is that you want to use the money for infrastructure or you want to use the money for repairing roads or whatever. Um, but in reality, taxing people to drive their car in California based on the amount of miles that they drive will have unintended consequences. It's going to absolutely have unintended consequences and it's going to be a regressive tax on those who cannot afford it because there will be people who cannot afford to pay this tax and people who cannot afford to pay some sort of mileage tax are going to be the most hurt by this. And Democrats don't seem to realize that they think this is a fantastic program. And why haven't we thought of this before? We'll just tax everyone the amount of miles they drive, which I thought that that was the point of the gas tax. The gas tax was supposed to be a way to tax people per mileage and usage because the more gas you buy means you're driving more. So that was the point of the gas tax. But now we have the gas tax and they want to do the usage and the mileage tax on top of it. Um, but that's besides the point. And it's going to end up hurting those who cannot afford it the most. Think about it this way. If you are someone who is struggling to get by, if you are someone who can't afford to live in the big cities, if you're someone who, and it's hard to live in big cities in California, it's expensive to live in big cities in California. If you want to live in San Diego or LA or San Francisco, or even Sacramento is starting to get pricey. If you look at all these different places, it's expensive to live in those areas. So you don't necessarily live in those areas because one, you can't afford to live exactly in the city. However, what if your job is in the city? Now you have to travel. Okay, you can't live in the suburb right directly outside of the city because it's still really expensive. So maybe you have to live in a town that is, I don't know, 30 to 40 minutes away from where your job is. So First off, you're having trouble affording how you can even live or where you have to live. Now, California Democrats like Scott Weiner are coming in and saying, 
we're going to start taxing how many miles that you actually use or how many miles you drive. And because of the fact that you were already behind and you can't afford to pay to live in these cities, you're now being penalized even more because you can't afford to live in these cities because you have to drive and commute. Um, so I said like more like an hour away. See, even if you're 40 minutes to an hour away at the end of the day, you're still driving a certain amount of miles. You're still driving maybe 50 to 60 miles one way. So add that up 120 miles times five times how many, you know, how many working days that you actually go in. It starts to add up and you're going to penalize the people who can't afford to live inside the cities or near where all the jobs are. Um, it's going to get really, really, really expensive. And these are these unintended consequences. I can only imagine what's going to happen. You'll probably have an exodus of people who can't afford to live here anymore because they're like, well, hell, I can't afford to live in the cities. I can't afford to have a job in the city. Um, and if I try and live 40 minutes to an hour away from the city where my job is, if I drive, I'm going to get taxed just for even trying to get to work. So you're getting taxed for being a productive member of society that will, is trying to have a job that's trying to support themselves and their family, but you're getting penalized for even trying and I, it flabbergasts me that stuff like this passes. It flabbergasts me that people in California don't look at this and go, wait a second. Something is really, really wrong with California when we're penalizing people for living far away from their jobs or people who have to commute every day. I always think of the people who, when I, I went to college up in uh, Northern California, up in, in Stockton, I always think of the people who would tell me, oh, I, I drive from Stockton to San Francisco every single day. And... That's a lot. You know how far that is if you drive from Stockton or Central Valley to San Francisco every single day? If you if you have to have a community, that's a lot of hours every single day. And most people who lived in the Central Valley did so because they wanted to afford a home where they could raise their family in a nice home with a yard and stuff like that. And then you get to an issue of housing affordability and where can people live? And a lot of this is it looks good in the vacuum of their minds where they say this is a great idea if we want to help and we want to help rebuild our roads, which again, I thought that was the whole point of the gas tax and I haven't seen roads get that much better. Um, but now they're looking at it and say, well, we're going to start taxing people the amount that they drive because that will help fix the roads and infrastructure. It's like, well, where did the money go from all the gas tax and all that, that we need to start adding more taxes on top of it. But they think it's a great idea. Scott Weiner, obviously, you know, he's from San Francisco. Obviously he's doing well enough to live in San Francisco, not a cheap place to live. Um, now he's a state Senator. He's like the darling of the California democratic party. He's one of the rising stars. He seems to be the catalyst for a lot of these really controversial things. And I think because he lives in San Francisco and because his district is San Francisco, uh, he can get away with a lot of this stuff. He can get away with a lot of these crazy controversial bills because at the end of the day, people in his district are like, yeah, it's a great idea. Let's start taxing people the amount they, they drive. And people in San Francisco don't care because they have public transit and all that. And they take the bus or they take BART or stuff like that. And they don't really care. But in terms of other people, I'd like to think that hopefully other people in the legislature who represent Californians who travel aren't going to support this anyway. So that was the big point about unintended consequences. And it'll be interesting to follow what is going on here because I know this whole tax by mile thing is becoming the new, it's becoming the new like green new deal leftist pipe dream of we're just going to start taxing people per mile. Uh, San Diego proposed this, San Diego County proposed it, that they want to implement it. Is there a whole issue of like fourth amendment issues? Because how are they going to track how many miles you do? Um, sure. If there's a tracker, like a GPS tracker, that could be an issue of fourth amendment, but definitely something to keep an eye on and, you know, keep an eye on this bill. And if you are 
As I always say, if you are someone who wants to contact your representative, go look for your representative and let them know that you do not support tax per mile that you live and explain your story. Just tell them. I live a certain amount of miles away. And even if you taxed it at, I, it, it, it doesn't say in here how much they tax you per, um, but it would be interesting to see how much they, they tax per mile because then you can really put in a number on it. Um, and maybe that's one reason they don't want to tell you why they, how much it's going to be, because if they tell you how much it's going to be, even if they tell you it's going to be like 50 cents per mile. So 50 cents per mile and you drive how many miles per year, that's still a huge amount of tax, right? So, um, I don't know. It's, and I don't think they want to tell people how much they're going to raise their taxes just by driving their car. Anyway. Uh, next story I want to talk about was before I jump into questions and finish off the show, the 100th episode of California Underground, um, is this article from RDF. I'm not really sure who RDF is, but the title is politicians treat jobs like prizes to be awarded or taken away. Um, and this is talking about one of our favorites, uh, Lorena Gonzalez. Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez from San Diego, who proposed AB5 and got AB5 passed. Um, and it really kind of introduces this idea of taking away uh, the ability to freelance so it could give more to the unions. Um, and then it talks about the bullet train, which proposed that it would create 6,000 construction jobs and how they really are starting to use these jobs and these handouts in California as a way in the article calls them lollipops as a way to hand out lollipops. Um, and it's true. Um, I can always post the article. I'm going to post the article links in the, the show notes. If you want to start, re- if you want to go and read all these articles yourself, you can. Um, but it's absolutely 100% correct that a lot of this, that's how California really operates is a lot of lobbyists, um, push a lot of these legislatures. And this is why I, I really want to focus on in the coming year in 2022 uh, is that I really want to focus on the legislature. You know, we, we focused a lot on the recall and obviously that was the biggest thing. We we're talking about the recall of Gavin Newsom in 2022. I really want to focus on the legislature. And I think it's important. Everyone really laser focus in on the legislature, because this is where a lot of this craziness comes from. This is where a lot of it, not necessarily noodles himself, but a lot of the craziness in California comes from the legislature. And that's where we really have to start focusing is start flipping these seats, make it more competitive in the legislature. And it has to be laser focused on the legislature because a lot of these politicians right now, like Scott Weiner, are getting their bills through because there's no pushback, because there's no opposition at all um, to any of these bills. So in this article, they talked about, uh, let's see, the LA Times reported in May that the rail authority's job numbers are wildly inflated by creative county techniques, but that's only part of the problem. The bigger issue is that the purpose of the project sold to voters 13 years ago as high-speed transportation has shifted to a slow-motion public works. The rail authority declared in a pre-Labor Day press release that each of the project's uh, design builders is implementing a program to guarantee that 30% of all project work hours are performed by workers from disadvantaged communities where annual household incomes range from $32,000 to $40,000. And the article goes on to say, these jobs truly are lollipops, plainly handed out with a political map. The purpose of the project is now simply secure funding to continue its spending and jobs program. Back in the real economy, the lollipop mindset that employment is something politicians control and distribute has greatly worsened the consequences of the COVID pandemic. When government officials arbitrarily declared some jobs essential and others non-essential, they revealed a lack of understanding that in the private sector, all jobs are essential, which is why people are paid to do them without any government coercion. Each job is connected economically to many other jobs. The money isn't handed out arbitrarily or as a favor. It follows the need for the work. Unintended consequences arrive like shock waves if the work doesn't get done. Um, and then it goes on to talk about broken supply chains and what's going on. Um, uh, 
let's see, uh, 60 container ships are waiting off the coast of California for longshoremen and truck drivers to unload them, move the goods, goods to a destination. It's not trivial. Jobs depend on it. Families depend on it. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said this week that supply chain problems are contributing to the stubborn inflation that is raising the cost of living for all consumers. So, continuing with the message, unintended consequences. Unintended consequences like this ripple throughout the economy. And it's it's only been proven more and more in the past two years that as the government and the state gets more and more involved in private sector and private sector jobs, you're starting to see it's they've only made it absolutely worse. And this was something I was thinking about this morning about the idea of like what's going on in the world and you know is it all big conspiracy and is it like this all part of the plan and all this stuff one one aspect of it that i was thinking about is that what if it's just possible that a lot of these politicians don't want to admit that they were wrong and that they just keep doubling down on bad policies and that they just keep and just keep doubling down on really really bad policies um, to the point where they just they don't ever want to admit like when someone's r- wrong, but they don't want to admit that they were wrong. They're just going to keep going with it over and over and over again. Um, and that that's really where it's going is that they just kind of are caught in this lie. And because they don't want to ever come out and say, well, we were wrong about something. They're just like, well, we're just going to keep going with this and we're going to keep doubling down, um, even though people can see like the data and stuff like that. That's one thing I was thinking. I was like, maybe that's one one reason why things are just going so haywire and things don't really make any sense anymore is because you have politicians who don't want to admit what they did was wrong. And that goes for people like Trump as well, because Trump was one of the part of the the lockdown. So, um, and we're still suffering under consequences of the lockdowns. Moral of the story is for today that everything has unintended consequences and that the economy is teetering on a very, very dangerous point right now because of these unintended consequences. We're seeing oil spills because of the lockdowns, because of the fact that you can't get people to pay or you can't get people to unload this stuff that cruise ships or not cruise ships, but uh, transit ships and shipping ships are off the shore and they're dragging their anchor and they're ripping up the the oil spills and now you're starting to see the oil spill and now politicians don't want to admit that they were wrong and that maybe they should have maybe what they did was too harsh and maybe they need to tell people to go back to work um so instead what they're going to say is oh no it's because of uh you know we need to get rid of offshore drilling that's why we need to get rid of that stuff you know and we're starting to see it more and more we're starting we're going to see a lot of these unintended consequences so at the end of the day, when you're voting for something, someone just said elections have consequences. They absolutely do. Look at the policies that people are putting forward and look at what they are proposing and think out every every logical extension of where that could go. Think about every policy that's put forward and, and, and examine it. You know, if you're in favor of something, even if you're in favor of something, really kind of dive down into it and really dig into it. Um, and even if you're in favor of something, make sure that you look at it from all different angles and say like, well, it sounds like a good idea, but let me look at maybe some of the unintended consequences of what could happen. That way, you know, when you're making a, a decision about who to vote for, or who to support at the end of the day, you know, that who you're supporting at least, or who you're voting for in their policies, you know, at the end of the day, you can say, well, I didn't support that and I don't support it now. So that's the moral of today's story uh, is unintended consequences. All right, let's get into some comments and some questions because that's the point of coffee in California politics is for us to sit and chat and talk about uh, politics and talk about California politics in particular. I know a lot of people, you know, are still kind of reeling from the recall and all that stuff. Last week's episode was a great episode. I thought it was a great episode to talk about uh, where do we go from here? So, um, do, 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 do. California is that it again? Has any other state ever done this? Um, not to my knowledge, but I know that they are trying to implement it in the Biden infrastructure bill as they want to try and look into doing this on a federal level. 
So again, this is why a lot of people who are like, you know, just give up on California because it's lost. A lot of stuff that happens in California starts to spread to the rest of the country. So it's better that really, I hate to use this term because it's always overused. The hold the line here. I feel like everybody says hold the line now and like hold the line on everything. But if you hold the line here in California, it stops stuff from spreading across the country because a lot of the craziness starts here in California and then sort of um, gets its way into federal legislation. It's like California becomes the testing ground of these far left ideologies. I saw something that said it would equate to $950 per year for most people if you drove around 10,000 miles. 10,000 miles is really not that much if you think about it. And that's not really considering that a lot of people have been working from home recently. And um, even working from home, I know that we've driven more than 10,000 miles. And and the year's not even over. And we've driven almost 10,000 miles. Um, So... You know, if you're adding on almost another thousand dollars a year in taxes for 10,000 miles, that's still a lot of money. And people are expecting to go back to work now. They're expected to go back to work now. People are being forced to go back to work. Some people want to stay home and work. Um, maybe you could say, well, fine, if you're going to start taxing me um, to do to go back and forth to work or tax me to drive, then allow me the opportunity to go work virtually because. Um, I don't want to spend the money to drive back and forth. And what do you do with jobs? I mean, what happens if you want a job, but it's far away and you say, well, I can't afford the, the per mile tax because it's too far. People are going to start losing out on talent because that talent may say, well, I don't want to drive 30 minutes every day or 30 or 40 or an hour every day because I don't want to pay the per mile tax. Now you're going to start losing out on talent and now you're really the, the, the market is limited to the amount of people really within your close range of maybe 20 minutes, maybe 15, 20 minutes of people who want to drive or people who can afford to drive. And it does, does create an issue. Um, I think they want to keep people outside of San Francisco, but they forget the people driving in or doing jobs they don't want to do the more lower paying entry level jobs. Well, I guess they're trying to push you to go use BART and something like that. Do you believe that they actually think it'll help or do you think that they just don't care and want more money? I think in one sense, I think they do think, I think some do actually think what they're doing is, um, I, I think some people think that what they're doing is a, a good idea and it's going to help. But at the, at the end of the day, I think, and when it comes to Sacramento, I think a lot of these people are really motivated by money and power and I think that's what they're really motivated by is that they know that this is another money grab because when you start to take more and more tax dollars in you can start to push it out the other way to lobbyists and people who are supporting you so it's a vicious disgusting cycle in Sacramento where there's lobbyists who can push the money through to the politicians and lobby on their behalf then turn around and get the fruits of their labor which you know is one thing that it's always interesting to me that the left is so against like money and politics, but California is a perfect example of why money and politics ruins everything because it's almost turned up to 11 when it comes to California and how bad lobbyists are here and how much payouts and how many kickbacks it is. And like this article says, how many of these politicians treat these things like lollipops to be handed out when reality Government should be getting out of the way, not trying to bribe people to go back into the private sector or give these kickbacks. Um, I live close to my job and I still drive like 15, 20,000 miles per year. Yeah, you know. And, and that's not including, you're only talking about commuting. You're talking about like what happens if you, you know, the thing about all the grocery store trips and if you have kids, how many times you have to drive them to practice or all their other extracurricular activities or driving them to school or um, all that stuff. And you, you think about all that or even just enjoyment and you want to go visit family and then, you you know, your family lives 40 minutes away or an hour away and you got to go drive and meet go see them. Um, 
it really I, I don't think they really think about it as you know I, I don't think they thought about it it's this one of these unintended consequences and and where is all the money going to go that's really the question because at the end of the day where is the money gonna go and how do we know it's going to be used for the stated purpose of it's going to help infrastructure and roads and all that stuff i mean we we know there's a gas tax we haven't seen um we haven't seen for the most part, we haven't seen where that money is going or how much has gone to actually fixing the roads or anything like that. So I don't want electric. So the government shuts down power and we're done. No more government control. I live in orange County. We're sick of this and get out, you know, focus on your state legislature. You know, if you're, if this is the stuff that really gets your blood boiling more than anything, you have to focus on your state legislature. You absolutely have to focus on them because at the end of the day, that's who's making these laws. It's not Congress. It's not other people, you know, even at the governor's level. You have to be able to to say, I, I pushed and I, I supported people to be in my legislature, and especially in Orange County. There should be more people coming out of Orange County going into the legislature who are vehemently opposed to this. Same thing with San Diego. A lot of these red counties should be putting a lot more people into the legislature who oppose this sort of craziness. And you have, we have to be able to even it out. I think I had, when I had Kevin Kiley on, I asked him like the specific number. And he knew off the top of his head, I think he said it was like six state senators and like 13 assembly people. If you flip that many seats... All of a sudden, there's no more supermajority. And once there's no more supermajority, all of a sudden, the, the game changes a lot in, in Sacramento. A lot of these crazy bills don't get rammed through without any opposition. Now, all of a sudden, a lot of these crazy bills might get filibustered. They might get stopped. They might not make it out of committee. So that's why I say, like, even an incremental change in California really has to make a huge difference in um in a lot of this legislature that's happening. So really get involved in your state. Like watch it like a hawk, you know, figure out who your person is, who your state Senator is, who your assembly person is and watch them like a hawk. That's what it really needs to come down to. Uh, someone said, you mentioned focusing on local politicians. What are you envisioning interviews, review of their political history? What about judicial races? Yeah, all of it. I'm focused on, um, I want to focus on getting a lot of interviews. I want to focus on highlighting a lot of people who are running for state senator or state assemblyman, state assembly person, state assembly woman or man. Um, and I want the I want people to start to get to hear from these people. I want people to start to realize that their local pol- their local politics in California has to change. And that's how you're really going to start turning California around. The recall was a Hail Mary because it, it, it would have accomplished a, a kind of a fear victory of, well, we got rid of Gavin Newsom and now we have a Republican governor like a Larry Elder, whoever got in. But at the end of the day, it doesn't change a lot of the things because you still have a state legislature that was a super majority of Democrats which could still ram through stuff even if you vetoed stuff. So even all the politicians and people running for governor say, Oh, well, I'd veto this bill. Oh, that's nice. I'm glad you'd veto it. It would only, it'd be a speed bump on their way of getting it implemented because they would just go back to the legislature and they'd override your veto. Um, But if you don't have that veto proof legislature, that makes a difference. That does make a huge difference. So yeah, 2022 is going to be focusing a lot on the local politicians. It's going to be a lot of races, going to be focusing a lot on propositions, um, I want to get a lot, as many state assembly and state senator people, if you're tuning in and you want to come on to the show, more than welcome, please reach out to me. My email is in the link in the bio. Um, you can, it's easy to go there. California underground at protonmail.com is where you can reach out to me. Um, but that's what I want to focus on. Board of super board of supervisors is big as well. Someone like Nathan Fletcher is up for election this coming year. Nathan Fletcher, if you know who he is, he's a bully down here in San Diego. Um, So he's up for election next year. And Board of Supervisors can make a really big difference in your life. And a Board of Supervisors, if you're able to flip your Board of Supervisors, that could really change 
the makeup of your entire county in reality. It really can insulate you from a lot of what's going on in Sacramento. As we saw in 2020, there are board of supervisors who say, well, that's fine. Whatever Gavin says, we're not doing it. We're going to push back on it and everyone's essential and we're not going to enforce any of it. And our sheriff's not going to enforce it. And really, we're going to insulate ourselves. (laughs) So this is the year I hope everyone keeps that same passion that they had for the recall and all of that. And I hope they keep that passion into 2022. And I hope that, like, I, you know, I've been here since 2019 doing this. So I hope people stick with me and, and keep tuning in. Um, but we got to keep that passion that we had for the recall and keep it going into 2022 and change a lot of things. Um, so that's what I'll be focusing on 2022. Local politics. Um might have Congress, a congressperson on here and there, but in reality, it's the legislature. We should be focusing on the legislature and really pushing to change a lot of the politicians there and change the makeup of the, the legislature because that really will stop. That will stem the tide of the, the crazy, crazy legislation that you see. And then, you know, Scott Wiener, people like that start to get marginalized and they just become the fringe. What do you think about Gavin mandating vaccines on healthcare workers, teachers, firefighters, but you won't do it for the prison guards? I, and that's that's a perfect example of money in politics. I mean, the question was, you know, he'll he'll mandate it for all these other people, but he won't mandate it to the prison guards because they donate to his campaign. That's an example of money in politics in Sacramento, and it's just it, it's it's laughable that people in California Democrats pretend that they're against money in politics when every politician they support thrives off money in politics. That's every single one. Every single one really kind of thrives off getting in, getting the kickbacks, getting the lobbyists on their side, and then giving out the little little lollipop jobs here and there and giving the kickbacks. And, you know, they stay in power because of it. Because then you have people who donate back to their a political action committee or whatever, and then all of a sudden it becomes a... Uh, a, a vicious cycle. So, are we able to get rid of gut and replace? Well, that is more of a long-term goal. That would require probably changing the face of the legislature to the point where there would be a amount of people who would be willing to get rid of the gut and amend uh, procedure. That really has to be something that. If you once you have the numbers on your side, or maybe it's a little bit more even, you can kind of push for let's get rid of gut and amend. It seemed like the RNC didn't even care about recall, like it was a cheap publicity stunt. Um, yeah, for as far as I know, they didn't really step in, and. A lot of people I know said that they were happy with the Republicans not stepping in. Um, but the RNC thinks that California, in, in, in my estimation, I think the RNC really believes that California is not really worth fighting for. So they don't want to spend money there. And I understand their logic, which is there's only a certain amount of money. So we're going to give it to like competitive races. But that's not what the Democrats are doing. The Democrats are not looking at states and writing them off. They're looking at states and saying, well, how can we flip it? You know? We've talked about this before. Look at what they do in Texas. Look at what they did to Georgia. Um, so states that once were reliably, reliably red are now flipping or becoming swing states <coughs> simply because Democrats didn't give up. They didn't look at a state and go, well, we're never going to make inroads there. They figured out they could make inroads. And over years, over time, they figured out how to do it. Let's see. Uh, the legislature is part of the problem. I spent hours calling prior to recall election to get investigation hearings reinstated. They postponed to protect Gavin. Well, yeah, I mean, they look at all the bills he's signing now after the recalls because he knew that if he signed a lot of this stuff prior to the recall, um, it probably wouldn't have gone over well. It may have changed some people's minds, so. Our board tries to at least uh, divert back to the state. So that's just a tactic. Um, 
Yeah, it's one of those issues where the the way our our government works is that anything that's not really delegated or commanded by the authority above you really is kind of left to your own device. Um, It's kind of like how you can be more strict, but you, you can't be less strict than whoever is above you. So an example is like in California, the CDPH has recommended that people who are not vaccinated wear masks. That's a recommendation. That's not a requirement. It's not a state requirement that everyone has to wear a mask or if you're not vaccinated, you have to wear a mask. Um, That's a recommendation, meaning you can choose whether to or not. And that's really up to the different counties. Now, every county is a little bit different. San Diego County is not requiring. L.A. County is requiring um, wherever San Francisco is, is requiring. There's other, you know, I'm sure Orange County is not requiring. Um, It comes down to your different counties and how strict they want to go past the other things. Now, there's definitely issues where counties can say, well, we're just not going to enforce it. Um, we're not going to have our sheriff enforce it. We're not going to we're going to sell people. Look, we're not going to enforce it. And if there's no enforcement wing or enforcement arm in that county doing anything, it really kind of gives you the free range to do whatever you want. Now, that doesn't stop the fact that the state could come in and state inspectors or state uh, authorities or employees can come in and start to find people or go after people. But at least, you know, that the county itself is kind of staying hands off and they're saying, well, we're not really going to enforce it. Um, as opposed to counties like LA that are just obsessed with more and more restrictions at the end of the day. So it does insulate you and it does help. Uh, Alameda County is forcing. Yep. Don't let the board of supervisors fool you. They are very powerful. They can step up and they just won't until you really, until they really feel pushed or until the state comes out with something they don't want to rock the boat. I don't think a lot of these supervisors, a lot of these local politicians, I don't think wanted to be, um, for a lack of a better term, I don't think they really expected to be on the hot seat as much as they are. I think a lot of these politicians figured I'm just going to um, get this job, you know, here in San Diego, it's uh, I think you make like $200,000, almost $200,000. So they probably figure I'm going to make $200,000. I'm going to get this cushy supervisor job where I don't really have to do anything. And I don't really have to, rock the boat at all. I can pass, you know, resolutions or stuff like this. And then at the end of the day, they, they may move on to something bigger. They may move on to like whatever next job that they want involved in politics. I don't think a lot of them really figured that they were going to be on the hot seat as much as they were. Now, some people relish in it. Some people are relishing it. Like Nathan Fletcher loves being the lightning rod of controversy and he loves being the tough guy. Uh, I think Vargas is another one who is relishing in being the villain and she doesn't think she's a villain, but she has basically said like, look, you can't, you can say all you want about me, but I'm not backing down all of these things. But there's a lot of people who I don't think really thought about how much they were going to be on the hot seat and in the spotlight. And especially with city councils as well. No one really talks about city council. We talk a lot about counties, but in big cities like San Diego, should be talking about the city council as well because they're a big part of all the stuff that goes on. Um, so, yes, in terms of like, <coughs> excuse me, how much a lot of these local politicians can do, they can do a lot. They can really do a lot. And I, I think they they didn't want to be put on put on blast for a lot of these issues. And, and it's like that article I posted from the LA Times about how Oh, these poor school board teachers or school board people are really, they really feel, you know, kind of threatened and they really feel uncomfortable with the fact that parents are upset. And it's like, okay, well, then if you don't like it, then get off the school board, like resign. It, it, your, your job as the school board is to hear the concerns of the parents. And if you, agree with the parents, then you can support them and make their voices heard and implement policies. Um, Or you could go against it. 
Like no one's no one's got a gun to your head to be on school board. If you don't want it and it's too much pressure and you don't like the fact that people are angry and upset at you, maybe don't go into politics. That's the bottom line. Like politics is a nasty game and you're putting yourself out there and a lot of people don't really think about that through. You're really putting yourself out there and you're really putting yourself out there for scrutiny. And if you don't like it, then maybe don't be in politics. And these people who are complaining about, oh, I'm on the school board and these parents are really upset with me. And oh my gosh, oh, this is really hard. And oh, I didn't really think it was going to be this hard. Well, guess what? Sorry. Uh, you know, at the, <laughs> at the end of the day, like, you know, you didn't get to pick when you were elected. But, you know, a lot of people, do you think, George W. Bush wanted to be president when 9-11 happened? No. Like, but that's what happens is you take the risk of like once you become a politician, you may have to deal with something that you are not really entirely prepared for and that you are the voice of the people. And when it comes to school board people whining about how they are like, oh, I feel really attacked and I feel really uncomfortable and this is really scary. It's like, well, then. Think about like what you're doing and think about where you are. And if you don't like it, then step down and, and let someone else step up and do it. Because if you're not comfortable, whining to the L.A. Times doesn't help your cause at the end of the day. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. You know, if you if you want to live a private life where no one bothers you and no one knows your name and no one critiques what you're doing, then don't get into politics. That's the bottom line. So. I mean, obviously, if you threaten someone's, you know, that you threaten their family or, or stuff like that, or you threaten, um, you know, when you step out of line, you start threatening people with violence in their personal lives. At the end of the day, that's not right. But if you're if people are upset about your what you're doing um, as a politician or as an elected official, and that's their critique is only on you being an elected official, what you're doing as an elected official, and you think that's threatening then maybe really you shouldn't be involved in politics. Uh, let's see. Why do you think Fletcher still won't listen to his constituents and does what Gavin want wants when it puts his position at risk? Um, well, Fletcher probably knows that the constituents who are probably showing up to these meetings at the board of supervisors are probably not all his constituents. Right. Because there's different districts. So you're, you're thinking about how there's all these different districts. There's five districts in San Diego where you get your board of supervisors from. Uh, he probably has a good idea that these are not his particular constituents. They're not his voters. He probably looks at it and goes, I know who my constituents are. I know that I have a certain amount of Democratic voters in my district. Um, and he's probably banking on the fact that people know he's a Democrat and that he is towing the Democratic line. As long as he tows the Democratic line, he'll be fine. He'll be fine with whatever happens. And, and that's really the end. Of it. And so he probably doesn't listen to a lot of these constituents because he knows that they're probably not his constituents. It's like the same reason, like Noreen Vargas doesn't really listen because she knows her numbers and she knows her district. And she knows that the people who are showing up and, and saying stuff or maybe, like, let's say the people who show up to this board of supervisor meeting, if they all show up from one district, if they all show up from like Jim Desmond's district, he's a Republican and that's his district. If they all show up from Jim Desmond's district and that's their supervisor, they don't really have to worry about who these constituents are because it's not their constituents, um, if that makes any sense. And that's really, you know. For a lack of a better term, people may say, but all everybody in San Diego County is their constituents. Right. But every district is has their own representative for that district and those people and those voters. So if you got everybody from like District 4, which is Nathan Fletcher's district, and you had them show up and say, hey, we don't like what you're doing, that may change his mind. But I think he knows that that's why he gets away with it is because at the end of the day perfect example of someone who doesn't like being held accountable uh major williams uh yep uh apparently it does i heard fbi is going to get involved in cracking down parents yeah that's uh yeah that's scary that the fbi is now thinking that 
angry parents are now domestic terrorists. Um, I, I mean, this domestic terrorism idea is going to, it, it's got legs and they know it's got legs and they know they can get away with it. Um, and they know they can kind of just keep running this out there. And because of January 6th, they can just kind of say, well, domestic terrorism. Um, and they're going to use domestic terrorism as cover to kind of, they're going to use it as a way to infringe on civil liberties and civil rights and your constitutional rights because they're going to say, well, it's domestic terrorism. So, and that's what they're going to run with as far as they possibly can. You know, once something has legs where they know they can grab more power and infringe on your liberties, um, at the end of the day, they're going to run with it as much as possible. And that's the left and the right. Once they figure out something has legs that they can run with. Uh, and enough people will say, oh, yeah, we have to stop these domestic terrorists. And, you know, these that's what they are. They're all domestic terrorists. And it's like, or are they just people who are upset about the way things are going and they want to make their voices heard? How can we combat the domestic terrorist thing um, from, like, the federal government? Um, don't play into their game. You know, they, they, they are expecting you to act a certain way. So don't give them an inch in terms of don't play into what they're projecting you as. That's one thing. How can the states, for example, like Florida defend against the fed government on DOJ having a fiance school protest? Uh, well, the state can push back. Um, but the problem with the supremacy clause is that they can, as a federal government, they have the ability to just kind of override the state, but, the state can kind of make it hard for them to operate if that makes sense, because there can be this kind of like battle between state entities and federal entities. That's one thing I'm really, I, I worry about is that the federal government is really pushing a lot of these states to kind of to the breaking point. You know, a lot of these states are really pushing back on the federal government federalism, which I thought a lot of people thought was dead for a long time, that federalism was over and that, we didn't really care about the the difference between state rights and federal government rights is I think alive and well and COVID really kind of reinvigorated it. So at the end, I, I think you're seeing a lot of states push back on it and Florida is definitely leading the charge. You have states like Florida, Texas, South Dakota, a lot of these states are pushing back and saying, look, we're not going to listen to the federal government because as states, we have these certain rights. So all right, I'll take a couple more comments or questions. Um, then I got to head out, got to run. Uh, but I want to thank everybody again for always tuning in every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. for Coffee in California Politics. On this 100th podcast episode, started off a little weird with the technical difficulties and the microphone not working, but here we are. So hopefully at episode 200, there won't be technical difficulties. Who knows? Maybe episode 200 will be like on Blaze TV or something like that. I have a school across the street from me and people get really crazy about dropping their kids off. DeSantis said he's doing a lot of the federal if you think about for the country. Uh, what can we do as parents to fight the mandates for kids? Uh, the problem is it comes from the state, you know, and there's no... You know, there's nobody pushing back at the state level. And again, I know this is not the answer that people really want to hear because it's not an immediate answer. But the hard truth is, is that a lot of people kind of let politics get out of hand in California. And now people are waking up to it going, how did things get so bad in California? Well, if you weren't really paying attention for 20 years, this is what happens is that people just kind of woke up and go, oh, my gosh, everything's so bad. Um yeah, you can push back and there's there's entities that are suing. You can definitely reach out to like let them breathe or let them choose. See if you can support their efforts and lawsuits and stuff like that. Um, so that's one way you can get involved is and then go to your, your different schools. If it's for, you know, you want you want to take them out of school. Um. So, yeah, there's there's options for you to do if you want to take your kids out of school, you want to homeschool them. If you can't homeschool them, maybe see if there's a school like a charter school or private school that doesn't really do it. But um, sorry, I just keep watching the Dow go down farther and farther and farther. And I think it's we might be headed towards a trajectory with the Dow that is very scary that it's it's sort of been on a losing track 
um, for almost a almost a week now. I feel like it's it's been down, and I think September it, September ended down for which is not good. Um, so anyway, yeah. So long term answer is we have to focus on the legislature, which we're going to do in twenty twenty two. We're going to do a big, much better job of focusing on the legislature. We're going to do a big job on focusing on propositions. Um, but in the meantime, also board of supervisors and all that stuff. Um, but in the meantime, if you want to get involved in organizations like let them breathe, let them choose, uh, they're suing. I know that they're suing over this stuff. Um, and you know, get involved in that stuff. And that's really it. Go to board of supervisor meetings, go to school board meetings and stuff like that. Remove your kids, get them out of public school. Um, and that's, that's basically the end of it. Like, that's what you have to do. It's not a perfect solution. I wish there was a perfect silver bullet solution, but, um, that's really what it comes down to is sometimes you just gotta, you know, you gotta weather the storm for a little bit until things get better. Uh, let's see. There's a couple more comments and then we'll, we'll end for today. Don't you think eventually they will take away homeschool option? Um, maybe, maybe they don't like the fact that kids are, are being homeschooled. Um, I have to admit that I wasn't into politics as much until the lockdowns and the rules started affecting me and my family. Yep. Yeah. A lot of people I think kind of floated through life, not really caring about politics because it didn't really affect them too much. They may have said, well, taxes are kind of high and you know, cost of living is pretty high, but, and now I think people are starting to wake up and go like, wait a second, what the heck happened? But that's how all these things happen. You know, you push people too far and I think people will, will start to push back at the end of the day. Parents can look into pods. I don't know what a pod is. Maybe that'd be a good podcast episode is talking about like homeschooling, all that stuff. Do, 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 even if your kids are in private schools, you should still be attending public school board. Yeah, why not? They're going to put homeschool in the domestic terror. Yeah, and they're going to start saying like that... Um, they're going to start saying, oh, let's see. See you later. Um, they're going to start saying that they are domestic terrorist cells and that's where they're, they're going with that. So like I said, they're going to, they're going to use it. They're going to use domestic terrorism as the excuse to get all that stuff done. But anyway, all right, I got to run. I got a lot of work to do today. Um, as always, thanks for tuning in everybody. Uh, thanks for the people who support who buy, who bought badges. Um, thank you to everyone who continues to support it as always every Wednesday at 9am new merch is out. Uh, there is the elites hate you t-shirt it comes in a t-shirt, tank top, sweatshirt, all that stuff. You can find the link in my bio. If you want to further support the, the platform, uh, I'm going to be focusing on a lot more local politicians and getting more interviews and stuff like that. So there's a lot of work to be done going into 2022. Do not give up on this. Still going to be here. Going to still be talking about this stuff. So here's to the next 100 episodes. And uh, I'll see you guys on the next one. Later, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 